to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 159, number 159 of the Retail Transformation Show. I am your host, Oliver Banks, and I'm delighted and proud to be your guide, helping support and show you the way to successful retail transformation. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, We continue our celebrations of the podcast's third birthday. Back in the last episode, episode 158, we took a look at some of the episodes from the last year, pulling out those famed golden nuggets for you. Really with a view of helping to either jog your memory, if those are episodes that you have listened to, or perhaps inspiring you to dig into the archives and discover some fantastic episodes. And these Golden Nugget wrap-up episodes are something I really do enjoy doing on the podcast. And if you enjoy listening to these, then why not check out the best bits from the first year, which you can find in episode 54 and 55, or maybe tune in to the best bits from the second year, which you can find in episode 106 and 107. And whilst I do love putting these episodes together, they are hugely difficult to make. Not technically so much, but there is a lot of content and so many golden nuggets. Working out how to create some condensed clips and create a a coherent story for you to help understand how the retail industry is transforming. I enjoy the challenge and I do hope that you are enjoying listening to them as well. As always, I love hearing your feedback. So you can either reach me on LinkedIn, message me there, or by email, oliver.banks at obandco.uk. And I love to hear your feedback, in particular, which bits you've enjoyed, which bits have really stuck out to you, and whether they have made it into this cut of Golden Nuggets or not. And like I say, it's a difficult choice And there have been so many golden nuggets that haven't made it into today's episode. But there are loads of fantastic episodes to check out in the archives, so do go and take a listen. Now, here in 2021, there has, of course, been a lot of change, driven largely, of course, by the pandemic. And that has featured, of course, in a number of different episodes really with an overarching recognition that we have seen this acceleration in the development of the retail industry in terms of how we shop and how we operate. Some have called it the Great Acceleration. In particular, Mr. Carl Butte, who I was delighted to welcome back onto the show in episode 134 to help celebrate his book, The Great Acceleration. Here is Carl. I think what the real the real core of, of of the great acceleration for me, anyways, was that first uh, lockdown in the spring, which mm. almost acted like a, a a time portal. It sort of like opened up and let us see what ten years from now could look like. And quite honestly, scared the hell out of a lot of us uh, for all the right reasons. You know, just 
how can you be prepared for something that you know overnight happens or almost overnight happens that we were building up towards or you know we were giving ourselves a decade to get there mm. uh, but it also showed us showed us the, the the shortfallings of our approaches and and how unprepared we were quite honestly and a lot of organizations were sort of pushing a lot of these initiatives back again acceleration means the, the real core of it is there was nothing new happening it was all things we were preparing and anticipating but it was, as a lot of organizations had sort of deprioritized or had pushed back a lot of these change initiatives and this mm. acceleration basically put that propelled them back uh, and, and put it, put it center stage once again in another episode featuring that theme of acceleration episode 115 sarah morris explored the concept and in particular gave some examples about how traditional retailers are changing to mimic that of pure play online retailers. Take a listen. This year and COVID has been a huge spur for innovation mm. and acceleration across the piece, across all types of retailers. You know, we've seen new services being launched in record time, in weeks and days, you know, whether it's click and collect or click and drive through and online appointments, online consultations, you know, things that have been talked about for ages. So I think that's been interesting because it's been the agility of how traditional retailers have responded. I think we've also seen a real recognition of the need to transform. Retailers such as M&S have been talking actively about trying to act more as a pure play. And some of the different responses we've seen, I think, have been quite interesting. So if we take M&S as an example, they've created MS2 inside their clothing and home area, which the description is about bringing together data and creativity as opposed to before online as a channel was completely separate. Mm. They've also had for a while a chief data and digital officer, and that I think is a key role to do this unification of one view of the customer and link the backroom activity so that the customer-facing activity is joined up with the data. So that, that's one response that they've taken. And this acceleration has, of course, presented us all individually as companies or collectively as an industry with many different challenges. And unfortunately, our frontline colleagues in retail have had to bear the brunt of many of those challenges whether it be about burnout or aggression in store or stress or just the feeling of uncertainty that we've all had to put up with over the last couple of years. So in episode 154, it was fantastic talking to Liam O'Meara from Axonify and exploring what we can do to help our colleagues on the front line to overcome the challenges of burnout. Take a listen. There are lots of things that, that we can do that could help. I mean, I, I don't think there's a, a golden sort of ticket here because obviously I think everyone would be doing it. But one of the simplest things that people need to do is, is really increase that level of communication with the front line. Um, yes. a, a, lot of, a lot of people found during particularly the pandemic, they had absolutely no way of communicating with the frontline. I mean, worse still, most of them didn't even know who the frontline were, let alone have a channel to communicate to them. So by putting in place the right sort of 
systems and approaches and being able to directly communicate with people is absolutely vital. A lot of stores have adopted their own practices for this. I mean, most of the customer base we deal with, you know, they might have some back channel like a WhatsApp group or whatever. Yep. It's good. It's very effective, but it doesn't adhere to IT policy. It doesn't mean that the regional directors or the CEO could thank the frontline in terms of what they mm. were doing through the pandemic or give them reassurance about what's going on, et cetera. So mm. yeah. and it's not it's not handled equally between different stores or different geographic areas or territories as well, right? I can imagine well, no, some no. people get <laughs> Just... great communication because they've got an area manager that says, let's set up a WhatsApp group and I'll share it all that way but not consistent, I'm sure. Well, yeah. I mean, if you've got a store estate of a couple of hundred stores and you've got an individual at each one who's supposed to be delivering that message, I mean, you pretend you've got a couple of hundred versions of that same message. Almost guaranteed, probably. (laughs) So it's it's a bit like Chinese whispers, isn't it? When you use a cascade approach. I mean, what was intended as a start, by the time it hits the person, A, it's taken perhaps a week to get there and B, it's probably gone through multiple different iterations so actually what actually gets delivered could be quite different so i think that's one of the big challenges and i think it's actually a relatively simple thing to put right these Mm -hmm. days with sort of digital technologies and you may remember in that episode number 154 liam omira made reference to a new study that axonify were just about to launch well that is now live So if you head over to the show notes today at obandco.uk slash 159, then you can find references to all of today's episodes and in particular, find the link to access that Axonify report. Very insightful to help you understand the challenges facing the frontline and in particular, burnout as well. And burnout is a really key challenge to get a firm grasp on before it gets out of control. Another theme that has been ever present over the past 12 months has, of course, been that of sustainability. And one of the aspects of sustainability that I think is really interesting and has a lot of opportunity for the retail industry is that of the circular economy. So it was fantastic to be joined by Karen Bendel in episode 136 as we dived into Understand the Circular Economy. Here's a clip from that episode. Most of the problems are created when you design something. Mm. So, And designers are amazing. So I think with the right parameters, designers would not have any problem designing beautiful products. I mean, a lot of initiatives are very earnest clothing, aren't they, that you don't really want to wear. But I think there's a there's no reason why it can't they can't be exciting. I mean, Stella McCartney, mm. there's a good example. Her clothes yeah. are, are certainly not dull. Um, so I think starting at that point, you've then got a problem with how do you think it's going to finish its life? And that's how that then helps you decide whether you want to use a blended fiber, because if you use a blended fiber, much harder for it to finish its life because you can't separate them out. So, so you've got a design thing which is going on, which is an area to focus on quite significantly at the moment, which I don't think is probably getting enough attention. Yes. The other end, which is getting quite a lot of attention because it's potentially a bit easier to solve, is 
the longer you keep an item of clothing going round and round and round, the more efficient it is for the planet. Yes. So resale, hire, subscription, recycling to an extent. But all of those new initiatives that people are trying, I think, are are really interesting as well. And those are seeming to start taking some traction. Another big theme has, of course, been omnichannel. And this is a word that has actually a lot of confusion about it, given how much it is spoken about within the industry. And in particular, that was the subject of episode 126, diving into the complexity of omnichannel. And seamless is one of those words that's spoken a huge amount when, of course, referring to omnichannel, almost just casually thrown into conversation. But how often do we stop and think about what seamless really means? Here is a clip from that episode, number 126. We're continually talking about customers seamlessly switching between channels, yeah? But if there are 22 different channels, and with the consideration that you're not operating in all of them, do you realise that there could be 462 different transitions to make seamless? And that's lumping things like social media into one channel, right? Which we know has a lot more depth to it. So there are many, many, many different transitions or seams, shall we say, where the customer needs to bridge across different parts of your business. So how can you work across that many different transitions, that many seams? So one of the pieces of advice that you hear quite often about Omnichannel is that you must put the customer at the heart, which sounds really lovely, doesn't it? It's like, hmm, yes, put the customer at the heart. That gives me the warm and fuzzies, yeah? But what does it actually mean? How do you put the customer at the heart, truly, genuinely? Well, for me, it's about resetting your thinking to put the customer as the consistent theme in the customer journey. And it is the channels that evolve around them rather than the customer bouncing between channels. It's the channels that have to evolve around the customer to serve the customer. And we'll come back to this in just a moment. So keep that in your mind. But then instead of these 462 different transitions or maybe more, you can focus on a number of really core transitions that are essential to highly manicure. And then for the others, you let the business evolve around them. If you have these highly manicured set of steps or stages, which can be mixed and matched across the buying process, maybe if you're talking about building a basket through the browsing part of the journey, then actually, what does that look like as you transfer between different channels? Which are the channels that you're going to be most likely to interact with as you go through this browsing part of the journey? And then you can cut that plethora of different channel transitions down to a set of really core, high priority ones to make sure that they are really seamless. <laughs> and then everything else can work around the customer with the customer as the consistent theme using data. And we're seeing more and more examples now of retailers tackling those seams effectively. And in episode 143, Ian Scott was reporting from his return to stores about some of the key changes he was seeing as we emerged from lockdown. And this next clip starts with Ian reflecting on some examples he'd seen about connecting in-store colleagues with online shoppers. 
Check it out. But it's still a service that, that's valid beyond lockdown considerations as well, because it just becomes an extension of the online and digital experience for that brand. And you can facilitate a one-on-one digital or virtual sales process in store. And I particularly like that. Mm. And there are a lot of app, app activities that we're seeing coming through where you can facilitate browsing. You can, you can also facilitate the purchase as well. You know, you, I mentioned Lush. They have touchscreens in store, so you can actually book a spa treatment in the basement. But you can also then interact with your phone, scan QR codes, browse product, which has been particularly popular uh, in Asia and is now coming through. And certainly with Lush, their thinking there was by having a QR code, we can make the product tickets about a quarter of the size that they were and make the product the hero, not the ticket. So you'll see those sort of stuff, which I which I, I quite like because there was absolute common sense logic to that. And integrating the physical and digital shopping experience was also a topic that I spoke about with Maya Knights in episode 133, as we dived into some of the latest changes happening in the world of retail technology. That point I made about complacency in terms of retail investments. Mm. retail technology investments, right-sizing commercial models in line with the digital transformation strategy, also I think applies to data. I hear on one hand, I still hear on one hand, I'm swimming in data, I don't know what to do with it. And on the other hand, you know, data is the new oil. Yep. But as a consumer, I don't really feel like it's being used particularly usefully or powerfully. I really, the, the, the big black hole uh, to reference omnichannel retail's theme um, is the store. It's mm. still not using my data in the store. I mean, some people don't want that. They might be creeped out by that. But if you're signing yep. up for permissions, opting into this and that, you know, you've now got Apple's IDFA making app owners ask users, is it okay if I track you outside this app? Yep. People are becoming a lot more aware of that. And if you give them a reason to do so, if you're asking them to opt in, as they're standing at the shelf edge, what, as before, just before you're about to offer them a, uh, a recipe suggestion that includes a voucher, of course they're going to opt in. Of course they're going to opt in. And then you get that data point that they've been at that shelf edge, looking at that product at that particular moment, linked back to their online identity, where they're browsing with you, where they might be researching with you. They might be checking out for collection or they might be ordering for delivery. But without that kind of connection in the store, you you only see half the person. Mm. I think consumers want that. They've got their mobiles out so much more now because they're primed and ready to pay from a low, no-touch perspective in store. So exploit it a bit more, get to know me a bit more better, and show me you know me a bit better better Mm. in terms of personalizing the experience and streamlining it for me. Only seeing half the person is a great concept. And Maya had a number of other great ideas in that episode. So do check out episode 133. And actually, one of the points that Maya raised in that episode was the fact that many of the changes that we are seeing and the innovations that we are seeing are not space age technology, right? They are old technology applied in a new way or even in an effective way. But one of the types of technology that has really caught the attention of the public, particularly here in the UK, has been that of checkout-free stores. 
a topic I dived into with Tiffany Lung in episode 127. Here is Tiffany highlighting some of the challenges that go alongside a high-tech solution. You know, with all this technology, you remove the whole community aspect. There's no personal interaction. Mm. But having said that, for the colleague side, the shop floor workers, right? What does this mean for them? It means less manual labor, spent at checkouts, less training. But the eradication of jobs is the biggest threat. Um, a lot of people actually are not keen up for this technology because it removes their weekly shopping habits of like speaking to the deli counter person or the, the cashier person asking how your day was, etc. Mm. And training them to use new technologies and having to, them to understand, it can be quite difficult. Technology is meant to help and make things better. But with every new technology introduced, whether if it's a mobile Palm Pilot, like POS system and whatnot, it's often met with a lot of resistance. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to remember not every individual is tech savvy. You've got people from all walks of life. Definitely. Especially working on the supermarket shop floor, whether or not it aids them in their daily operations is another story. And following on from that, in episode 125, I took a look at technology-led transformation and some of the factors that go into making those high-tech transformations a success. And in particular, having clarity is such a key point when driving transformation. Here's a clip exploring that point. The third factor is clarity. This is around being able to clearly explain what it is that you are doing. It's going to help if you are linking the problem to the solution, as we've been talking about. It's important to use plain English or whatever language you are using. Simple words, simple phrases. Don't overcomplicate because you will alienate people. Don't use buzzwords and make sure that everyone is able to understand what you're talking about. Because if there is confusion, then people will either do something different than what you're expecting, or they're going to do nothing because they're just not sure, but they're also not willing to say that they don't know or don't understand. And then if there is misdirection as well, if you have misexplained what you're doing, people are going to head in the wrong direction. And so when you are trying to create this clarity around your technology-led transformation, make sure you are using use cases to illustrate how the future is going to look or how different states will work. You know, maybe take a customer or a colleague or even a product and step through it, say, this is how it's going to happen. This is what it will look like. This is what it will feel like. Digital shopping has been a concept on many people's minds this year. And to have some clarity around that term, digital shopping, I mean, both e-commerce as well as social commerce, as well as many other forms of digital commerce. And in fact, this whole concept was something that I explored in episode 155, number 155, where we took a look at reinventing digital shopping. Take a listen. What is the power or the uniqueness of a digital shopping environment over a physical shopping environment? Over and above the fulfillment side of things, I mean. Well, for me, it's the ability to change and personalize the offering to an individual and to create something that doesn't naturally exist. So you can put things together quickly, easily, cheaply and at a relatively infinite scale. Let's stay in the Etsy house for just a moment and think, what would this mean? How would you 
change and personalise this experience to an individual and create something that doesn't exist anywhere. Now, this concept of digital shopping is going to be critically important to win in the future retail market, in my opinion. And actually, I loved talking to Hilmar Peterson in episode 157. Now, Hilmar is the CEO of CCP Games, which is behind the massive multiplayer online game EVE Online. And we spoke about the collision of gaming and retail and what that means for both industries. And in particular, Hilmar had some great views on how retail of digital products and digital services is helping move that whole sector forward. And it's something that if you're not familiar with, you've got to start getting familiar with. I can't help but feel this whole area of the metaverse, and we'll come back to that shortly, is like e-commerce 20 or 30 years ago. So check out episode 157 to find out a little bit more. Here's a clip with Hilmar. You phrased it really nicely in, in your session a little earlier around actually how we as consumers buy products to show the, the rest yes. of the world yeah. what yeah. we want to be perceived as. Yeah, it's, it's often good to break it down. Like, uh, and I often take fashion and clothing uh, because the utility of clothes to make you warm is obviously just a fraction of why we're buying all these clothes. Far gone beyond that. So what is then the reason? And the reason is we buy the clothes to present ourselves to others. That is the reason why we buy them. Otherwise, we just would have been wearing the clothes we were wearing when we were, were working from home. Yep. We're all just wearing <laughs> sweatpants and T-shirts, and that would be the, the wardrobe you would need. Uh, but we, uh, it's uh, a much larger wardrobe. So what is that? That is because you want to express your identity to others in a social context. Uh, this is actually why people buy virtual clothes for virtual avatars. They are expressing the identity they want to represent to others, which might not be the identity they want to rep represent in, in real life. And it's actually, um, I watch my kids uh, and how they consume these things a lot. Mm. And you can see they have a way more flexible idea of who they want to be today. Like uh, there's a lot of like disassociation from their natural persona to their online persona. There are multiple online personas. So it's a way more flexible situation. And I think that could also be a lesson to retail in the real world of uh, there are various contexts where people want to present themselves differently in different times. And obviously, we see that just from morning to evening and kind of very obvious things like that. Yeah. But maybe there is opportunity for way more, as we see in games. And another fantastic episode to explore and understand more about the metaverse was episode 128 with Kathy Hackle, before it got too cool to talk about the metaverse. <laughs> So here we are exploring AR and VR and the metaverse in retail. So I think that the companies that are not thinking through their virtual strategy right now are missing the mark or not having enough foresight because there's statistics, there's numbers out there. Um, one of the last ones I read was said that the virtual goods market is supposed to be 400 billion by 2025. And that is everything from a sword in Minecraft to a Burberry skin in League of Legends, right? Or something like that. Wow. Um, so it's a very broad range. It could be anything. It could be Gucci sneakers. It could be, you know, Gucci um, AR sneakers. It could be, yep. it's a very broad term. 
and obviously that might seem a little conservative. 400 billion is a big number, right? But yeah, <laughs> that might feel a little conservative now with non-fungible tokens and kind of the explosion that you're starting to see when you're buying a digital good of sorts, right? A digital digital collectible. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I think that the brands that are not thinking through or, or just see it as a gimmick or just see it as, oh, this is going to pass, they don't understand that eventually one of their revenue streams will be digital. Mm. So at this stage of this Golden Nugget review, I wanted to take a bit of a pivot from forward thinking into the future to thinking more about retail's history. And I loved catching up with Graham Salt in episode 152, exploring some of the heritage of the industry and what that means for us right now and going into the future. And this is a great example of how a particular brand has really harnessed their history to great effect. Take a listen to Graham Salt. It's quite interesting if you look at some of the businesses that there are trying to draw from their heritage. So at the most basic level, it might be when you have a, a brand like Marks and Spencer's or House of Fraser or Morrison's that puts their date of establishment in their logo. Mm. And we've seen quite a lot of that lately. It's, uh, it's been quite interesting to see businesses that are, are kind of showing that they're proud of their longevity. Mm. But you do then have to make sure that you back that up with actions that reflect your values <laughs> um, and and that you are kind of you're acting in a way that kind of celebrates and respects that heritage. And I think um, you know it's fair to say that 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 it's a mixed it's a mixed picture in terms of how well retailers do that. Mm. I suppose one good example of a retailer that has has reinvigorated itself by looking backwards is the co-op. Mm. Uh, the cooperative group has obviously in recent years brought back its um, its blue clover leaf logo. It was a logo that was prevalent, I think, in the 60s and 70s and was then replaced by a succession of, you know, of, kind of other faces over the years. Yeah. But actually, in, in revisiting that kind of blue logo, uh, the co-op group seems to have really rediscovered its, its mojo, if you like. It, yeah. It's, uh, it's reminded it about what the co-op is for. It's, it's, it's about being rooted in its communities. It's about giving back to those communities through the kind of charities that it supports. And I think um, I think the messaging around what the co-op is and what it stands for has never been stronger. And that's really positive. And that has partly been inspired by this whole process of of the rebranding, which draws from that kind of backstory. And mm. I think uh, it's a it's a really nice example. And you know, even better, the stores that have been rebranded look fantastic because. Yes, definitely. It happens to be a logo that that works incredibly well uh, on all kinds of, of buildings. So again, it, it's, it's quite nice because uh, almost by fluke, it's also reminded us of, of quite how many wonderful heritage buildings the co-op still occupies. Mm. And again, like Woolworths, in many cases, it, it built these things. It was, it was local cooperative societies who, uh, who built these buildings. And, and in many cases, the co-op still trades from them uh, for its food stores. Mm. And these new blue logos, you know, often allow the building around it to uh, to really kind of shine and remind us of, of quite how long these businesses have, have been part of their communities. And as we begin to come full circle, it's important to reflect on how the retail operating model is changing. And in episode 142, I did something a little bit different. 
This episode was recorded live at Retail Transformation Live 3. This is, of course, my virtual event that ran in July. At one of the sessions, I pressed record live on air and recorded this episode where I was exploring different elements of the modern retail operating model. Here's a clip from episode 142. There's a couple of different areas left that I wanted to share with you. The first is around the decision infrastructure, which is something that very, very rarely gets talked about in an operating model sense. But this is about asking, what are the decisions that our business needs to be able to make? And how do we make them? There are lots of areas where we need to make decisions in the operating model, particularly as we start to think about adding in flexibility, particularly as we start to think about you know, all of these different uh, channel integrations as well, particularly as we start to think about the elements I was discussing earlier on at Retail Transformation Live about becoming future fit around, around speed and so on. A lot of that is enabled through better, quicker decision-making nearer to the source, right? So we don't need to push it all back upstream and, and make that decision, but we need to think about who needs to make the decision, who needs to input to the decision, and then what are the decisions and how are they made? Because if you can detail that out as part of your retail operating model, then it's going to make the entire system run a lot smoother. And being live at a virtual event, I couldn't help but bring some special guests on. So it was fantastic to welcome Gary Newbury and Jeffrey Roberts on to explore some of their ideas. Here is a clip from Jeff Roberts joining me on the virtual stage, continuing that conversation about decision making. It's a really interesting conversation, and I, I think it's a great point. I like how you've you've unbundled it into nested parts that ultimately create this. But I think a point that you raise, which I, uh, which I, I mentioned in the chat, but I think is a really good one, is getting the decision model right. And I think it's something that's not thought about until oftentimes it's too late. And so, you know, I raised the example of, of, of Nordstrom's in the U.S. You know, I think where they've really cracked it is that they see, obviously, profit flows from happy customers. And so they devolve the responsibility to solve any any customer problem all the way to the ground, um, which is great. And, it, you know, clearly it's a strategic decision to be made, but one that I don't think enough people think about. Definitely. I, I think it's really interesting how, how that, that devolved nature is coming increasingly important, right, mm. as we start to think about the different elements. Yeah, absolutely. And from a virtual event at Retail Transformation Live to a real face-to-face -face event at Retail Week Live 2021. And in particular, episode 156, where I was reflecting on that live event. And in fact, the many changing facets of retail. Here's a clip from number 156. And following on from that, I really enjoyed one of the questions that True Rating can help you to understand from your customers. Did your visit make you feel better about your day? Now, I think this is a real acid test of customer experience and much more helpful, actually, than the usual NPS question, especially if asked in the moment, because increasingly retail is competing with leisure time, which definitely makes you feel better about your day, right? And we've spoken on the podcast before about the increasing competition for time and money in the retail market. 
whether it's different experiences and experience days, or whether it's digital services, things like Netflix or PlayStation Plus that are nibbling away at the classic retail market, or whether it's the likes of D2C, direct-to-consumer, companies continuing to steal the thunder from retailers, whether it be fashion brands or even the likes of Disney. And you need to be asking yourself, how do you make it worthwhile to go out to the store? Now, that question was posed during the event. How do you make it worthwhile to go to the store? And whilst it was meant to be referencing a physical store, it could mean an e-commerce store just as much, in my opinion. Meanwhile, younger generations in particular are being interested and engaged in streaming and the metaverse. Live streaming was described as TV that talks back to you, so you're naturally brought into the conversation and the show. Equally, sessions at the event showed that metaverse is a great way to connect with like-minded people and express ourselves in an ideal way. Take a moment to think and reflect. If you think of yourself as a customer-centric company, then maybe it's time to ask yourself and ask your customers if your experience and your operating model is helping your customers feel better about their day. And that's a nice clip to begin to wrap up this episode because, of course, I do hope listening to the Retail Transformation Show every single week makes you feel better about your day. Do let me know, of course. And if it does, I'd love for you to post a review, particularly if you do use Apple Podcasts. Just a short review. I'd love to hear what you think. Or like I said earlier, reach out via LinkedIn or by email as well to share your thoughts. Oliver.Banks at obandco.uk Now, here on the Retail Transformation Show... We do, of course, like to have a little bit of fun. There is always lots of laughing, I feel. (laughs) Right on cue. (laughs) We do some silly stuff like fitting in as many channels as we can into a single breath. Take a listen from episode 126. I've identified 22 different channels, at least, by the way. And I'm going to go through all 22 in just a single breath. Are you ready? Own stores, franchises, shopping shops, pop-up, own website, both mobile and desktop, apps, contact centers, live chats, social media like Facebook and Instagram, content platforms like YouTube, TikTok and blogs, messaging like text, messenger, WhatsApp and WeChat, third-party marketplaces like Amazon and eBay, own brand marketplaces, partnerships, influencers, events, one-to-one video calls, live streaming, emails, Google, VR, AR and whatever else comes down the pipeline very soon. (gasps) (laughs) Whew, did it. We also like to merge the digital and physical worlds. And Carl Boutet helped me do that in episode 134. Ollie. Great Foley. (laughs) So they say you got to let this stand for a while. This is the real way to serve a Guinness without having the tap, unfortunately. So I've been inspired by a lot of your recent podcasts and the metaverse one especially. So this is the true blend of physical and digital. So we're 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 pulling in the virtual pub just got a lot more physical all of a sudden. And right here on the podcast, we love to ask big questions. 
And here is the retail prophet, Doug Stevens, reflecting on one of those big questions in episode 144. Oh, my goodness. Now you're asking me to choose between my 10 children. Um, <laughs> which, which do I love the most? And now a big question to you. What has been your favorite episode of the Retail Transformation Show? I would love to hear from you. Do please share your thoughts. You can find out all of the ways to get in touch on the show notes, obandco.uk slash 159. That's obandco.uk slash 159. And whilst you are over there, do of course remember to sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing, which keeps you up to speed with the ever-evolving world of retail. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and to every other episode as well. It's a true honour to have you listening in week in, week out. And I can't wait to share more episodes of the Retail Transformation Show with you very soon. Bye for now.